Galatians chapter 5. So the story is told that on March 1st, Layla and Caroline decided that they were going to wander out into the woods at 2.30 in the afternoon after their mother told them specifically that she was not ready to go for a walk yet. They decided that they were going to be independent young women. The reality is that they got lost while walking on a deer trail and wandered past a fallen tree that their father explicitly told them, do not ever go beyond this tree. And so they started wandering on their their family's 80-acre property that their father said, do not go beyond this, this point. Caroline reports to the news that Layla wanted a little tiny more adventure. I love that phrase. A little tiny more adventure. But I wanted more. For 44 hours, these two girls, ages 8 and 5, were living without food in the pouring down rain and trying to keep warm at nighttime where the temperatures dipped below 38 degrees. More than 250 personnel from across the state of California responded to assist in this operation to find these young girls who were lost. The girls were found at 10.30 a.m. on Sunday. The girls told rescuers that they used Caroline's rain jacket as a shelter, smart, cuddling together under a huckleberry bush, Whatever a huckleberry bush was, uh, reminds me of Huckleberry Finn, uh, to keep out of the rain, and they drank water from the huckleberry leaves. The key lessons, and you can see, look at the picture, the look of that mother's face was, if you ever leave my sight again, I will kill you. The key lesson that these girls said they followed was to stay in one place once they realized that they were lost. Stay in one place. Because they found themselves going, oh, we've been by this before. And they decided the best thing to do was stay in one place. Reading and even watching the story online, I was reminded of two fundamental rules. Kids, look at me. All of you look at me right now. Rule number one, Jude, listen very carefully. Listen, do not get lost. That's rule number one. If, if your parents say, stay with me, if they say no or not yet, listen to them because you do not want to get lost. That's rule number one. Rule number two is... If, by chance, you do get lost, stay in one place. I tell you this story because Paul has a lot to say about not getting lost and actually staying in one place, staying the course. So would you stand for the reading? We're going to be reading from... Galatians chapter 5, starting at verse 1 and reading through verse 12. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, 
therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the, faith, the, the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view. And the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. So welcome back to Galatians. It has been seven weeks uh, since we have... uh, We took a little bit of a hiatus preparing for Lent, preparing for Easter, going through the seven sayings of Jesus, which I thoroughly enjoyed, but I am ready to get back into Galatians. This is really one of those, uh, these books that uh, are critical. They're, They're the refocusing of our hearts and our minds on the primacy of Christ and the need to remain focused on the gospel. So we've been going through the book of Galatians together. This is Sermon 10 in this book. And Paul says in this passage, it's kind of the, the, a point where he just says, listen, listen carefully. For freedom, Christ has set you free. Stand firm then and don't submit again to the yoke of slavery. There's two parts that are going on in this section. And he says, one, is that if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, if you have placed your hope, your trust, your everything in Christ Jesus, you are free. You are free. You're free from the penalty of sin. sin. You're free from the power of sin. You're free from the the law as a system of salvation. You're free from superstition. You're free from all the things that enslave you. John Stott does a great job of explaining what this freedom that Paul is really talking about is. It's not a freedom, my friends, hear this. It's not a freedom to do whatever you want to do. It's not a call to be willy-nilly and have, oh, well, I'm saved now so I can do whatever I want. No, this is John Stott's explanation or definition of this freedom. He says this, true freedom is freedom from my silly little self in order to live responsibly in love for God and others. 
He has set you free so that now you can truly love God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength. And you can also, you now have the freedom that has, because Christ has done this for you, you now have the freedom to love other people richly, lavishly, extravagantly. Paul says we are free, and he says this emphatically. You are free. He is literally saying that it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. Freedom is, in, if you notice here, if you're a good uh, English kind of folk type of person, it is both a noun and a verb. It is for freedom that he has set you free. Christ's whole mission here on this earth was to liberate us, to free us. And Paul tells us in the clearest terms that Jesus Christ has set you free. And I'm not sure you get it. He has set you free. We are a liberated people. Think about what happens when people who have been caged are suddenly set free. You kick up your heels. You live life differently. You see colors. You smell things differently. You taste things. You appreciate things totally differently. You have been set free. But then Paul says, stand firm, therefore. Stand firm and don't submit again to this yoke of slavery. Do you realize that one of the, the most important tasks that we have as followers is to stand firm? To stand firm. He, he's saying whatever you do now, that you have been set free, stand firm. Don't get lost again. Stay in one spot. You have been set free. Don't wander off, Paul is saying, from the freedom that has been won for you for, from Jesus Christ. Stay in one place. One of the biggest tasks in your Christian life is to guard your heart and your mind and your life from wandering off the ranch, from wandering away from the freedom that has been won for you through the saving work of Christ. You are free. Now stand firm in that freedom. Stay in that circle of freedom and don't wander off from that freedom. So Paul mentions a specific way that we always tend to wander off from that freedom. It, it's what we've been talking about through this, this series in Galatians. And we come, he comes back to it again. He circles around again. He says at the end of verse 1, do not submit again to this yoke of slavery. Don't submit to the yoke of slavery. What is he talking about? So in those days, slavery was a very real thing. But it is different than what we think of chattel slavery here in our North American context. It's not the same kind of slavery, but it was still a very rough type of circumstance. If you were a slave and then became a free person in Paul's context, you could buy property. You could schedule your own activities. You can earn and spend and live life however you you wished, and it would be unthinkable to desire to go back into slavery. 
Yet Paul says that is exactly what happens when we depart from the freedom that we have in Christ. It's like, yeah, I've been shackled my whole life. Freedom has been won for me. Let me go back to being shackled. It makes no sense, and that's, that's how we do it. When Paul talks about this yoke of slavery, what is he talking about? He is talking about the Old Testament law. He's talking about the Old Testament law. And Paul gets very clear in this passage that the issue of the Old Testament law that the Galatians were facing was the regulation, the Old Testament regulation of circumcision. Some people were teaching that it wasn't enough for you to have faith in Jesus Christ's saving work. It's not enough. You need to keep and add to that salvation by adding some Old Testament law. In other words, you were saved by trusting Jesus plus by keeping God's law. Think about it for a minute. That doesn't sound so bad at first. In fact, it actually kind of sounds reasonable if you think about it. In fact, it's kind of how it's part of our nature. Something great has been done for me, so now I feel obligated to add to that great gift that you have given to me by doing something. I feel obligated, required to add to that gift to make it even better. And Paul is saying, no, 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 no. That's not how you become a Christian. But let's think about how do you become a Christian? We can all agree that it begins with our realization, the kind of the, the shutters of our eyes falling off when we realize that our whole life has been a life of violating God's standards, God's holy standards. We, we, I read from Revelation, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. So it talks about the holiness, the set-apartness, and this holy God, thrice holy, says, listen, here are my stands for, for holiness. This is my, these are my standards for, for righteousness. You don't define it, I get to define it. So all of a sudden the shutters of our eyes fall off and we go, I have been violating all of God's standards. I am broken fallen there's no hope for me and we 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 can all agree that part of salvation is agreeing that it involves us trusting in what christ has done for us he has lived the perfect life he bore all the punishment for our sins on the cross the wrath of god was poured out upon jesus christ and he said it is finished i have done the work and he actually took our sins. And when in taking our sins, he gives us something in exchange. It's called the great exchange. He gives us in exchange his what? His righteousness. We receive the righteousness of Christ. And so far, that sounds like good news. But it would also sometimes feel reasonable to say that on top of trusting Christ, you also have to contribute something to your salvation. It sounds it kind of sounds reasonable. But do you see what Paul is saying here? You're getting lost. We're departing from the freedom that Christ has won for us. In fact, we're allowing ourselves by doing that to become enslaved again. 
It's deadly. And Paul says, we can't let that happen. One writer said, it's not that Christians seek to blatantly replace the gospel. We're not looking to totally replace the gospel. What we're trying to do is simply add to it. And that, my friends, is fatal. But don't get me wrong. Paul isn't saying that it's wrong to obey the law. In fact, the Ten Commandments, if we read the Ten Commandments, it should be clear that we, we are called to obey the Ten Commandments. We are called to love our neighbors as ourselves. We are, there's all kinds of things. We are called to care for widows and orphans. We are called to do these things. And those are laws that are laid out for the glory of God and the good of the church and the good of the, the world. And we, we should see that obeying Christ is essential. Even in Matthew chapter 28, the Great Commission, right? Go therefore into all the world and make disciples of all the nations, teaching them to do what? Obey all that I have commanded you. Some say observe, which is the same idea as, as obey. Teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. Teach them. But what Paul is warning us about is thinking that we actually contribute to our salvation. We add value to our salvation through obedience. The most dangerous thing that you can do is to trust your own personal obedience, your, obe your ability to obey, rather than trusting in the perfect work of Christ. And this is important. Stand firm in your freedom, Paul says. Don't budge from the freedom that you have in Christ. Don't think that you can add anything to it to make it more beautiful, to make it more powerful. Jesus is enough. It's more the most powerful thing in the universe. In fact, in the gospel, it is the very power of God for those who believe. Paul doesn't just leave it there, though. In the rest of the passage, he gives us two ways that we can stand firm in the freedom that we have in Christ. So let me give you the two ways. Is there one big sentence? Yes. Here's the, we are called to stand firm in your freedom by realizing what is at stake. That's number one. And number two, by rejecting those who want to enslave you. You don't have to write this all down because the next slide is my first point. Here's the first point. Stand firm in your freedom by actually realizing what is at stake. So here's the reality. I am not a huge outdoorsy kind of guy. I, 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 there was a season in my life where I really loved to, to camp, but it was probably most people would have called it glamping. You know, kind of glamorous camping, you know. Uh, I made sure I had all the things that kept me comfortable, uh, the mosquito nets, the everything that you need. Al understands it because, you know, they have a camper, not a tent. Um, but I, I love kind of the outdoorsy kind of world and enough to read about it. And that's my way of kind of getting that, that outdoorsy fix. And so uh, I, I love reading those harrowing kind of stories 
of, of outdoor life. So this past week, I read about the expeditions to the top of Mount Everest. Mount Everest is, it's not the tallest mountain in the world, but it is dangerous. Absolutely dangerous. And when you read about uh, traversing to the top of Mount Everest, there are all kinds of things that can go horribly wrong. Now, you know, in, in our ordinary everyday life, uh, you can take some wrong steps and things won't go too badly. You can maybe get in a minor car accident, people might get a little damage, you might uh, fall off a, a step, and you might, might twist your ankle. But on top of Mount Everest, you realize what is at stake with every single step that you take. Every step needs to be calculated. One wrong step, one careless move, you actually can be killed. And you can also not only kill yourself, but you can take others down with you. And there, so there's a lot of wrong, a lot of that things at stake with taking a wrong step going, trekking towards the top of Everest. And in this passage, Paul wants us to realize what is at stake with a Jesus plus something else equals acceptance with God view of salvation. Jesus plus something else equals acceptance with God kind of understanding of the gospel. What's at stake? He said, here's, here's three things that are at stake. One, Christ and His work will have no value to you. Hmm. Which is absolutely terrifying. Verse two, look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, adding something else. Christ will be of no advantage to you. My friends, this is shocking. It, it's terrifying. If we trust in Christ plus our own obedience, we lose all the benefits of trusting in Christ. And this is not a minor issue. Think about it this way. This, this illustration kind of helps me. Think of a man who has discovered in his attic in a beautifully encased box a baseball. And he recognizes that this is an old baseball. And this old baseball, as he looks carefully, brushes off the dust, he realizes that it has an autograph on it. And he realizes as he brushes off the dust and he looks carefully inside this small little glass, glass case that it has the autograph of Babe Ruth. Immediately, he checks what? He checks online. He goes to all the, uh, the people and just says, is this of any value? And they go, absolutely. This, that is amazing to sell that thing. And he goes, oh, man. But he looked at it, and he, he noticed that the autograph had started to fade. Well, you know, I want to make sure that it is really clear whose autograph it is. And the man takes it out of his case, holds it, takes his own ballpoint pen, and goes over the top of it to make sure that it is clear hoping that it, it will keep its original value. 
by adding to what babe Ruth had done, he destroyed what babe Ruth had done. Does that make sense? And by the time this guy is finished, he has taken something that is priceless and turned it into something that's worthless. And that's exactly what we do to Christ's work when we add our obedience to it. Phil Riken says, his finished works cannot be refinished. They're finished. They're perfect. They're exactly what you need. Don't add anything else. And he goes on to say, it can only be destroyed. William Perkins, a, a, a Puritan, said this. And I love this. He must be a perfect Savior or he is no Savior. It's either he's perfect or he's no Savior. It's either Jesus in the perfection of his own works or nothing else. There is no middle ground. If we trust in our obedience, if, then we deface the work of Christ. Jesus and his gospel will be of no value whatsoever. So that's the first thing. But here's the second thing. We become debtors to God's entire law. Verse 3 says, I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is now obligated to keep the whole law. You can't pick and choose. Well, this seems like a good law. I better be, be observing this one. Because if I observe this one, it's going to really make Jesus look beautiful. And Paul is saying, listen, if you're going to choose circumcision or you're going to choose this one and add to try to add to God's acceptance of you by really keeping this law. You're going to do those things. Listen, it's a package deal. It's not just pick and choose a smorgasbord of what you like to add to to make God's acceptance better. No, you do one, you have to choose absolutely everything. Now you are indebted to keep the entire law again. The minute you begin to rely on your obedience, you become entitled, obligated to keep the entirety of God's law. The problem is that nobody, nobody except for Christ himself can keep God's law. And what did he do? He kept it perfectly. And you're going to try to add to it? What are you, stupid? Only Christ has and can keep God's law. It is the perfect work of Christ. Don't try to add to it. Because if you do, you become hopeless. Chained again to keeping a law that you can never keep. What else is at stake? Verse 4 says, we are cut off from the grace of Christ. You are severed from Christ, cut off from Christ. You who would be justified by your keeping of the law, you have actually fallen away from grace. If you try to justify yourself before God based on your own obedience, your ability to keep God's law, you cut yourself off from the grace of Christ. 
Why is this? Because, listen, here's the reality. Grace and self-justification are mutually exclusive. You have to choose. Am I going to self-justify and work really hard to get God's approval or has that already been given to you? The minute you try to accomplish your own salvation, your own right standing, you're removing yourself from grace and the mercy of Christ. So what is the alternative? Verses 5 and 6 say, For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything. But if you're an underliner or a highlighter. But only faith working through love. That's the only thing that matters. This is what it means to follow after Christ. Instead of relying on your own perfect obedience or your attempts at it, we wait for God. We wait for God to give us righteousness by faith. It means looking to Christ instead of to ourselves. We're waiting for that final, and we're even waiting for that final verdict when we stand before God. And He says, "Mm, well done, my good and faithful servants. Well done. On one day, God will appear and He will declare righteousness based on the finished work of Christ in our life. And that is a whole lot better than relying on your own righteousness. And this is what really matters. The issue isn't circumcision or keeping the law And some of you have been raised in a kind of a culture of to earn my satisfaction and happiness, child. Keep my law perfectly. Anybody? Maybe you're using that scheme, that anti-gospel scheme and theme in your own parenting right now. You want to keep me happy? follow my rules and God's gospel says it is quite different you are already accepted and out of gratitude you say show me your ways this is how you stand firm in your freedom you've got to realize what is at stake because this is a an Everest issue when you take one step away from your freedom in Christ, you're, you're, you're taking a step that is spiritually fatal. And when you, you say it's Jesus plus something, then Jesus has no value. You become a debtor to the whole entire law, and you're cut off from the grace of God. And one of the ways that we stand firm is in our freedom is to realize what is at stake when I try to add to it. So get clear on this. Realize that this is not a minor issue. Stand firm in your freedom because you realize what is at stake if I try to add to it. So secondly, here's the second thing. 
Stand firm in your freedom by actually rejecting those. Rejecting those who want to enslave you. Reject them. And that's a hard word nowadays, right? But verses 7 through 12 are very clear. You were running so well. Who hindered you from obeying this truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. Who's he referring to? Jesus who calls you. That's not where it's coming from. In fact, a little leaven leavens the whole loaf. Did you pick up what that means? It just takes a little bit to make it out of whack. I'm confident, I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view. And the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. So Paul doesn't even know the name of the guy. But if, brothers, if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish that those who would unsettle you would emasculate themselves. That, that last verse or that last phrase is something else. So Paul doesn't mince any words here. He speaks very clearly of the danger that comes from people who teach what God doesn't teach. This teaching does not come from God. And Paul is saying, this is a persuasion that is not from him who, who, who has called you. This is a dangerous thing. And there are four problems with these kind of people. These people are meddlers. And Paul uses the image of somebody who cuts you off in a race. The, the, image, the image that Paul is giving is that you were running so well. You were, you were going at a great pace. You were growing. You were thriving in your spiritual walk. You were relying on the gospel. And then all of a sudden, a false teacher cuts in and trips you up. And now you are in danger of being disqualified. They're meddlers. Not only that, they are not even God's messengers. They're not teaching what is true. They are teaching a false doctrine. On top of that, they are contaminating the gospel. They are adding leaven to the loaf. And it is making things grow that are not supposed to be growing. And Paul is saying here that it only takes a pinch of the law to thoroughly contaminate the gospel. Just a pinch just a little bit. If I just add a little bit, God will be pleased. Paul is saying, no, none. Don't add any of it to contaminate. And this, my friends, is why doctrine is actually very important. Knowing clearly what is at stake and what God says is important because it only takes a little bit of heresy to do a lot of change. On top of that, these guys misrepresent Paul. They seem to be saying that Paul is teaching circumcision as well. And Paul is going, are you serious? There, there's nothing that could be farther from the truth. That is, that is not the gospel that I delivered to you. The good news is that Paul says these guys, whoever he is, will not succeed. He says, I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view. I have confidence. 
But in the meantime, these people are causing all kinds of problems. There, there's a great danger in believing what is not true about God and His gospel. And a lot of difficulties in the Christian life will come from believing, uh, from not believing what is true about God and His gospel. And Paul is clear that we will, each one of you will face uh, false teachers. And we have to take this seriously. One, who, who, one of the ways that we can stand firm in our faith is actually to reject those who are pulling us away from the truth of the gospel. Reject them. Shut the door. Turn off the TV. Don't read their books. Reject that teaching because they are adding something to it. A.W. Pink once wrote, the great mistake made by people is hoping to discover themselves what is to be found in Christ alone. Don't let anyone ever lead you to look away from Christ or your fleshly desires. Don't let anybody do that. Look at only what Christ has done. In the last days of the Civil War, the Confederate capital, does anybody know what the Confederate capital was? Richmond, Virginia. Come on. Back to high school you go. Richmond, Virginia finally fell to the Union Army. It was kind of one of those last bastions. And Abraham Lincoln was insisting on visiting Richmond, Virginia. Even though nobody knew who he was, there were rumors of this tall, lanky, thin-faced man. But nobody had seen him. But the moment that he walked into Richmond, Virginia, slaves immediately recognized him. And they throng to him. Could you imagine that moment? He had liberated them with the Emancipation Proclamation. He had offered them life. He had set them free. According to uh, Admiral David Porter, who was a, an eyewitness... Lincoln spoke to the throng of people who were gathered around him, the slaves. And this is what Lincoln said. My friends, you are free. Free as air. You can cast off the name of slave and trample on it. I love that. And then he says, Liberty is your birthright. In a similar way, Paul says to each and every one of us who is in Christ Jesus, it's for freedom that Christ has set you free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to this yoke of slavery. Trample on the name of slavery, dance on it, 
stomp it out until it has no power whatsoever. Because liberty and freedom in Christ is your birthright. So stand firm. Stand firm in the freedom that has been won for you. And live extravagant lives. Loving God freely. And loving one another freely. Because that is now yours.